1: Play for free at Luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
2: Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of the Projection Booth. On this episode, I am talking to Mark Edlitz about his new book, All About the Many Lives of James Bond. We were set to release this when No Time to Die, the latest Bond entry, came out. Well, that's going to be delayed, but we're not going to delay this episode so you get to hear all about the evolution of James Bond. And I would highly encourage you to pick up Mark's book. Definitely worth your time, your energy, and your dollars. Enjoy. Before I start asking you about the many lives of James Bond, how the creators of 007 have quoted the super spy, I am very curious, Mark Edlitz, as far as you and your career, you have had Just an incredible past. I mean, that I can find you on HuffPost, on Amazon, on IMDb. You're a man of many talents.
0: Yes, I guess or no. Uh, Let let me. I'll answer that. Uh, uh, I also want to publicly say how thrilled I am to be on your show. As I told you, I've been a fan of you for so many years. And what while I was writing this book. Uh, one of my daydreams was to be on your show, so thank you for having me. Oh, wow. I'm glad I can make dreams come true. This is my second book. I also wrote a book called How to Be a Superhero, which is a book where I interviewed actors who have played superheroes for the last seven decades. And so it wasn't always the most – I would always sort of pick sort of the the the, the, the offbeat, Actors who played superheroes. So it's Nicholas Hammond from Spider Man. You know, it's not Tobey Maguire. It, you know, it's it's Lou Ferrigno for the Hulk. It's Adam West and Kevin Kevin Conroy. You know, it's it, so it was, I was always trying to t- look at the super. It's you know Adrian Pulicki from Wonder Woman. I I would always I would I was fascinated with superheroes. So I decided to write a book about them, and I contacted I think thirty five of them and they spoke to me about their experiences. Well, I also uh, wrote and directed an indie film called The Eden Myth, starring Justin Kirk uh, and Zora Lampert from Cassavetti's Films. And I produced and directed a documentary on extreme Star Wars fans called Jedi Junkies. Yeah, I did some writing and producing for TV, including Brain Games, National Geographic, and uh, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Now, you did Jedi Junkies in
2: 2010. So the backlash against George Lucas and the prequels was already there. But did you expect to see, let's say, the levels of butthurt that you saw over the last three films that were released?
0: Star Wars fans are are, are really, really passionate ab- about what they love. And what Jedi Junkies did was it looked at how they use that passion to fuel their creativity? So I I interviewed people who made Star Wars fan films. I interviewed people who were lightsaber enthusiasts and who made their or who made their own uh, lightsabers. I interviewed a guy who uh, built a life size Millennium Falcon in his backyard. So these are people with with skills and interests that go beyond Star Wars and they just fuel it through Star Wars. But they're not completely myopic. They're creative in their own right, and they're using their, their love of Star Wars as a springboard for their creativity. You have one
2: credit on your resume. Well, it's several credits, but I have to ask you about it. How was it working with Susan Sarandon over a period of however many
0: films that was? I was her assistant and I ran her office for a little over 10 years. I did that with uh, I not for that long, but I also uh worked for Gary Sinise when he was working on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and the great David Mamet uh on some of his movies like The Spanish Prisoner and some of his plays. And you know, it was a a real honor to be around that creative process and see how, you know, you know, Mamet is a genius, And it was, it was amazing to see how he works and just try to keep my mouth shut and watch his artistic process.
2: I was just singing the praises of The Spanish Prisoner the other day when I was talking about the range of Steve Martin and just that that movie is so unexpected when you watch it.
0: Yeah, he, he just doesn't always get asked to, to not be incredibly funny. And sometimes that's successful for comedians and sometimes it's less so. And you saw it with Bill Murray and 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 with Steve Martin where they find projects that show their, their full talents. And like, I mean, your whole podcast is really devoted to not just the movies per se, but the talents behind it, the creative people and what sort of decisions they make. And I think that this book, The Many Lives of James Bond, and your podcast have in common is that it's both looking at it's looking through the the. It's both. It's examining the work of these incredible
2: artists. I consider myself slightly obsessive, but the level of depth that you put into the James Bond book, I as I was flipping through the pages, I was just like, I can't believe that he talked to this person. I can't believe he went to this place. It was just astounding the level of research.
0: How many years did it take you to put this thing together? The first book, How to Be a Superhero, took. 10 years to to write. And that's because it was my first book, and I made it like a magnum opus, and it's it's really long. And this one, The Many Lives of James Bond, I was like, let's not do 10 years. And so I, I think it was closer to three years writing, researching, and reaching out to people. The book does two things. One, it's a series of interviews with actors who've played James Bond in different media. So I interviewed a couple of movie actors. I I, I interviewed Roger Moore and George Lazenby. But I also look at the actors who play Bond on television, in, in, in the animated series James Bond Jr., in radio dramas, in video games, in audiobooks. You know, the first person we see on screen as James Bond, as many people know, is not Sean Connery. It's the stuntman. And so I thought it was important to include at least one stuntman. So I I interviewed a a Daniel Craig stuntman. And I also interviewed uh, the German voice of James Bond. You know, we always think of him as, you know, Sean Connery as the, you know, what Bond sounds like. But if you live around the world... Not everybody hears the American version; they hear it in their own language, and so I thought it was—I thought it'd be interesting to speak to the guy who who play, you know, who plays Bond for the German audience to represent all those people. And I, you know, I, I think four or five different video game Bonds. My thought was, let me reach out to the the people who are not always associated with these roles, and see what they
2: have to say. I didn't even realize how many James Bond video games there were. I mean, I am pretty much a novice when it comes to a lot of gaming, but I mean, gold and I still people talk about that game and how, what an impact that made. But yeah, you go so far beyond that into so many things. And then even talking about the one that is basically like a movie unto itself, it just sounds
0: amazing. You know, you talk about the commercial with love video game. If you were, if you were at a bar and, made a trivia about you know what was Sean Connery's last performance as James Bond most people are going to say never say never again and they'd be wrong the last time Connery played Bond was in a video game adaptation of his movie From Russia with Love and it was written by one of the Bruce Feirstein, one of the writers of the Bond movies i interviewed the producer of the game who who told me you know these wonderful stories about working with connery he said to Connery, why are you coming back? It's because it's surprising to hear Connery coming back to play Bond, especially in a video game. And he said, "Why did you do it?" And Connery sort of sweetly said, "You know, my my grandchildren likes video like video games. I think it'll appeal to them." And I think that's a really sweet, you know, reason to return to a, a role that you might have mixed feelings about that association with. He also, um, the producer of the video game, also told me a story about. Uh, where he, they were re- doing the recording session for Connery and, you know, they finished it. It was a long, hard day. He came home and got a call from the sound engineer and the sound engineer said, I, I don't have it. I, I lost, there, there's no audio tape here. Oh my God. It's, it's completely blank. And the, the producer was in a, was in a panic cause you can't, you know, what do you do? And the, sound engineer who has worked with connery in the bahamas for you know ages said you know let me call him and connery came back the next day and did the whole thing for free yeah which is which is which is also a very sweet story to show that you know while he does have complicated or mixed feelings about the role it shows his work ethic and his you know the care he puts into these things what does james bond mean to you
2: and what role has he played in your life
0: the first time I remember seeing a Bond movie was Moonraker, and my my mom and dad took me to see that, and I was about seven. And then I saw For Your Eyes Only, and it was sort of an unusual one-two punch because Moonraker is one of the more fantastic films in the series, and For Your Eyes Only is one of the more grounded. So for some, there might be whiplash, but for me, that established very early how malleable a character he is. And so, you know, at an early age, I really was drawn to this confident, suave, super capable figure and wanted to emulate him and sort of absurdly wrote Roger Moore number one on on a piece of paper. And I taped it to my T-shirt and walked around school, which is really not cool. And happily, no one beat me up. And then from there, my love of Bond grew, you know, tracking down all the movies, which was harder than pre-streaming. You had to wait for the ABC Sunday night movie to come on and then you would watch sort of a butchered version of it. But then I would, you know, I read all the books and then Bond is not just the movies and the Ian Fleming novels. That's just the the most visible part of the franchise. You know, as we're talking... Bond extends into video games, television, radio dramas. You know, all my life I've been sort of absorbing it and and enjoying it. I'm
2: trying to think of another character, and I was doing this while I was reading your book. I was trying to think of another character who has been played by as many actors. I know in recent times, Spider Man is giving him a good run for his money. Yeah. And I'm sure there's somebody really super obvious where I'm just like, oh, yeah, of course. You know, other than Doctor Who, but I mean, it's such a strange film phenomenon to have this one character, but he could be many characters. And there's always that thought of is this one person or is he many things just adapting that name over all these years?
0: Yeah, I, I think Batman might be another one of those examples. Uh, but the, 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 when when I grew up, there were just two bonds. And I know there was just Sean Connery and Roger Moore. And I know that George Lazenby obviously made on a Majesty Secret Service between them. But he was not part of the popular culture. And so people were sort of binary. It was either Sean Connery in that approach or Roger Moore. And one of those twos was, was the real deal. And then the other one was the pretender. But now we've seen as you're saying more and more actors step into the to the film role where now there's 6 eon bonds but there's also you know when people talk about the other bond projects like the casino royale in the 60s where david niven played james bond there was also you know woody allen played jimmy bond and the you know and in that film casino royale in the 60s they Change the code name. Excuse me. They they rename all the agents James Bond 007 to confuse the enemy. So you have to put them on the list of Bonds as well. And then Barry Nelson played James Bond in a live TV adaptation of Casino Royale in like 1954 or so, which is about 55 minutes. And it's a pretty faithful adaptation. And pretty, you can find it on YouTube. And it's pretty. It's also part of the, uh, the Casino Royale DVD, I think. But um it's a pretty faithful adaptation and it, and it's and he's an American actor. You know where you know Barry Nelson from? You know him from The Shining. Uh he 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 interviews Jack Nicholson to be, you know, to, to get the part to look after the overlook for the winter. That 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 that's Barry Nelson. That's the that's the first live action James Bond. But before him, there was a guy by the name of Of Bob Holness, who played James Bond on the radio, the South African Broadcasting Company's radio adaptation of Moonraker in the fifties, and this is one of my sort of level of nerd nerdiness. This book helped solve a James Bond mystery, if you will, because nobody knew what year the program was performed live and was not recorded. So no copies of it exist. And there's no actual documentation that the broadcast took place. So it's sort of like a James Bond urban legend. But I was able to do two things. One, uh, I was able to reach out to his daughter, uh, who recently discovered a copy of his James Bond contract which, you know, included all the dates and his rehearsals and how much he was paid, which was a pittance. She allowed me to present it or reproduce it in the book. So I, I you, people can no longer say that it doesn't exist. And then the other really neat thing is, uh, although Bob Holness passed away, uh, someone who runs the Bondologist, Bondologist blog, Brian, um, wrote him a, a letter years ago, and Bob Holdness wrote wrote back Brian and gave him all the all the questions you'd want to ask about the production and how it came to be. Uh, he wrote him, you know, this 25 two page letter, and uh, Brian has allowed me to include that in the book as well. It finally gives weight to this legend and and, and proves it's all real. Helps prove it's all real.
2: I was most impressed by the interviews with the directors, the interviews with the writers, and especially the interviews with the songwriters. I was so glad that you went there because that is such a part of Bond, and it was just so nice to read some of the thoughts behind the songs.
0: You know, as I was saying, one part of the book is interviews with actors who play James Bond, and then the other part of the book is It's interviews with the creators, but it's all through the lens of understanding the character of Bond. And I think that's one of the ways that makes this book unique, because there's so many ways to look at the franchise. You know, there's making of books on Bond. You know, there's Bond and and the women. There's Bond and, you know, his cars, you know. And so what I think makes this book unique is that it's all filtered through trying to understand the character of James Bond. So that was sort of my... The lens at which I looked at everything. Don Black, who wrote uh, Thunderball, he, he said that a Bond song should have the allure of the forbidden and the whiff of a boudoir, <laughs> which I thought was a great line. And then one of the things I asked him, because when you know when you when you listen to these Bond soundtrack albums, first you they play this theme songs in order, and first it's you know Goldfinger, and then there's Thunderball. And so for years, I wondered, was Thunderball about – I assumed it was about the villain, because the previous one was was about the villain. Goldfinger is about Goldfinger. It's not about James Bond. But I asked him about it, and and Don Black about it, he said, no, it's about James Bond. So that's also been a sort of a long-standing mystery, is who is the subject of Thunderball? And the answer is James Bond. How
2: does the Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang song fit into the James Bond lore?
0: That's one of those songs that was recorded to be written and recorded to be the theme song, but they wanted it to, they wanted the film to have the name of the title. So that was another one of those discarded Bond songs.
2: Also, I have to ask you, what is your favorite Bond song?
0: Goldfinger is probably, if you're going to point to a James Bond theme song and say, do it like that. That's a pretty safe bet, but you know I also like *Live and Let Die* and *Moonraker* and A *Aviator*, Kill* and *Skyfall*. I'm, I, I like them. I tend to like
2: the theme songs. No, there are some really great songs. I think mine is uh, *The Spy Who Loved Me*.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Sure. You know that, that's 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 a great one. Most of them are about told from someone else's point of view, and then there's only you know a few of them that you could argue. Are sung by Bond. You know, for the, you know, the the, the Living Daylights is arguably sung from his point of view. Spectra, the Spectre theme song, is arguably sung from his point of view.
2: What are your feelings about the way that Bond has changed over the years? And why do you see the need for him to change with the times or not change with the times?
0: Well, one of the ideas. Uh, is 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 the idea of continuity and change, which is something that James Chapman wrote about, and it's the idea that the Bond films maintain continuity with each other through, often with actors, you know, same actors playing M and Q and Money Penny, uh, and references to previous Bond films, uh, but that there's also change and that they're not doing the same thing. So, you know, as I was saying with Moonrake and For Your Eyes Only, there is no one way to there's no one right way to make a Bond film. They're they're all many of them are so different. You know, when you can put Dr. No against Die Another Day. You know, it's almost like they're different genres. From Rush With Love is more of like a Cold War espionage thriller. Goldfinger is more action and an adventure. Tomorrow Di- Never Dies is more of an action movie. You know, Live and Let Die uh, is uh, influenced by black exploitation films. Man with the Golden Gun, influenced by Kung Fu. You know, they, they keep on reinventing and changing. Moonraker, obviously, sci- sci-fi. You know, they, they they keep on reinventing themselves so that they stay relevant and surprising to the audience. I didn't realize, and I don't know why I didn't realize this,
2: but until I read your book, I didn't realize that Martin Campbell was behind both GoldenEye and Casino Royale, which were total, well, well they were changes of actors, but they were sea changes as far as tone goes.
0: He set the tenure or the error for, for two different really successful Bond actors. He he directed both of them and helped shape their performance. And what he told me is he thought, he actually thinks of them as sort of two separate characters, the, the James Bond of Goldeneye and the James Bond of Casino Royale. He, and when I say that, he's not talking about the fan theory that James Bond is a codename given to different Agents through the years, he's saying that they have different motivations, and so he, he thought of them as sort of almost like two different people. It's a really gutsy thing to do, and I said, you know, were, you, were did you feel the pressure? And he's like, no, nah, <laughs> he, he didn't. But what was also interesting about him is that he said that he di- he didn't see Daniel Craig as Bond, meaning he he didn't see how it would work. That's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. announced Daniel Craig as James Bond, I went and watched Layer Cake for the first time, you know, to check out, okay, who's the name next James Bond? And I didn't see it. I didn't see how the guy from Layer Cake could play James Bond. And neither initially did Martin Campbell. But through the course of making the film and, and, and shaping the character, Daniel Craig was obviously you know, a great, great, great James Bond, but he wasn't what anyone expected.
2: I mostly knew him from the first um, Tomb Raider movie. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And in that, I was like, okay, I can kind of see that because he was more action adventure going through the jungles and doing those things, though he was such a minor character in that film compared to, I mean, even the villain in that.
0: Yeah, he didn't pop for me at all in that
2: yeah, I just recognized him in that. And I was like, Oh yeah, this guy, you know, he's got a great body. He seems to have a really good personality. He was playing kind of a lovable rogue, like almost friends with Lara Croft. And I was like, okay, I can maybe see this, but it wasn't. Yeah. Until the, the, well, really that opening scene and that opening of Casino Royale is so good. And even though it's, Really cheesy to do parkour in movies. Now it fit with the time and it fit
0: with this new Bond. That opening sequence is incredible, and it established right away that it was going to be a different type of Bond. You know, you know, he's always called a blunt instrument of the state in, in, in you know in Fleming's novels, but I don't know if we really saw that until we saw Craig's sort of he's a bulldozer. One of the things I loved about the opening sequence, it, it was just the, the stunts were spectacular. And what the, the Bond actor I spoke to, Kai Martin, was one of the people who doubled Craig in, in, in that sequence. And that was one of his first roles as a stuntman. And he said that a, he never, a good wig is, and a good wardrobe is what could make a stuntman's career. That if you got the right wig and you look like the guy, you've got all these great opportunities. And if you don't have the right wig, your your chances are much slimmer.
2: I think I'm screwing up by calling the parkour scene the opening scene. I think the true opening scene, if memory serves, it has been a while since I've seen it. That scene of
0: him in is it in the bathroom, and he's yeah. There's two. It's it's it's, it's the, the two black and white shot uh, sequences that explain how 007 got his number and as as fans know you know when we think of double o agents we think that they they get it because they're just you know the best in the business and it's a a sign of all their myriad skills but in the in fleming's novels it's you get it when you kill two people in cold blood it's less exotic it's more mundane yeah and that
2: that scene he is fallible that he's out of breath all of those things i was just like this is the james bond that i want sadly i think we've gone away from that james bond but that was such a revelation for me oh absolutely you mentioned the other casino royale the one with david niven that movie is just bonkers (laughs) i mean you listed the directors on there how many directors were behind that
0: There's like there's around five or so. There's a there's an uncredited director. You know that that movie, it's insane. It has very 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 little to do with anything. You know, (laughs) but uh, but you know the funny thing about when when you talk when not you but when people talk about Bond films, they call it an unofficial Bond film, or they'll call Never Say Never Again, Sean Connery's 1983 film. Uh, an unofficial bond film that's an inaccurate descriptor, I think you could say be it's inaccurate because the people who made it had the rights to make those films. you know these aren't fan made films these aren't student films. this is not fan fiction. they had the legal right, so that you know so they're they're it's better to talk about it as a non eon production eon being the obviously the producers of. You know the the series that we think of it, but it, it, they're not illegitimate films. They you might not like them, and, and that's fair. You know they're they're you know a Casino Royale is certainly not made the same way that these other Eon films are made, and Never Say Never Again doesn't have the the polish of an Eon film. Uh, but they're, they're legitimate. They're just non-Eon productions. And I also got I, – I interviewed two of the uncredited writers I've never seen ever again. And I got to tell you that I, I'm, I'm, I remain a fan of that film. I think it's witty. I think Sean Connery's performance is even better than in Diamonds Are Forever. He's just so relaxed and, and cool. I think he, he did a great job. I loved that interview.
2: Those guys seemed like they were amazing.
0: They're ve- they're very funny um, and candid about their experience. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, and that they were really calling a spade a spade with a lot yeah. of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I was so on point with them when they were talking about the music choices and yeah, everything. That was fantastic. And I don't want you to to tell the story because obviously I want people listening to this to go out and to buy the book. But I was so glad you cleared up what, for me, was a mystery as far as why it took so long for Pierce Brosnan to become James Bond. Because growing up and seeing Remington Steele – Right, right. Oh, my God. That was great. I was so glad to finally read that because
0: all those years I kept saying, why isn't he James Bond? I know. I know. That's how I became a Pierce Brosnan fan too. Is Remington Steele? I was like, this guy is totally James Bond, and uh, I think we all benefited from him not playing Bond. It when Timothy Dalton did, as as, as people know, uh, Brosnan was cast and let go, but um, he was too young. I think he got the part when when it was the right time for him to play the part. Same thing though with GoldenEye. I love GoldenEye, and
2: then those movies afterwards. It was just like, "What are we doing here, folks?" And then once you got that one with uh, Jinx in it, I was just like, "What are we doing? This is going off
0: the rails again." I interviewed uh, Bruce Fierstein, who who wrote, who wrote, um, was a writer on three of those GoldenEye, Eye Debaro, Eyes, and the World Is Not Enough, and. You know, he would talk about the creative process and what they were trying to do. And if you look at those films, they're, they're sort of experimental. To that might be an overstatement to say it, but they were experimenting with what you can do with James Bond. In Tomorrow Never Dies, they introduced the past love and Bond's life. You know, the Terry Her- Terry Hatcher character. So they were trying to find ways to personalize it and peel back the onion, as Pierce Brosnan would always say. Yeah, you know, that's what they were trying to do. Yeah. Like I said, I want people to experience this book, to buy
2: it, because it is just so well done. I'm not trying to, you know, blow smoke up your ass, but it is just really well researched. I love the illustrations, for God's sakes.
0: There's a wonderful artist who who did them, um, Pat, and you know, the, the, obviously if you look at the cover of the book there's five photos of uh, five different bonds and there's fo- there's also photos in the book but as a general rule, we're all used to seeing the same James Bond images and so uh, this wonderful artist drew these fantastic illustrations of all the bonds many in many different situations and he he the, the, it's worth getting the book just to look at his, his pretty pictures. So I know this dropped November of last year, and you probably
2: had to turn it in a few months before that. So I do feel that I have the right to ask, what's the next project that you're working on?
0: I am working on two other books uh, right now. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, ho- hopefully in the future, you'll invite me back to talk about one of them.
2: Man of Mystery, leaving him to the imagination. I love that. <laughs> Well, I would be more than happy to talk to you again. I do have to ask you: where's the best place for people to keep up with you and your projects?
0: The book's on Facebook under the Many Lives of James Bond. Uh, Twitter has uh, I'm on there as Mark Edlitz E D L I T Z. The book can be found on at on Amazon at Barnes and Noble. It was totally cool going to Barnes and Noble and 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 seeing it there. It was just that, that thrilled me to no end. You know, so there's places to get it. All the usual places that people get books, they should get them. Well, Mark Edlitz, thank you so much for your time. This has been a real pleasure. I am so thrilled to be on. I'll be listening to you tomorrow. At, at, at. I don't know what particular podcast of yours I'll be listening to because I've got a whole bunch downloaded and I just listened to it on the way to work. Uh, but I look forward to listening to you tomorrow.